This is We Are What We Overcome. What you're about to hear are the ramblings and reflections of three ordinary people, drawing on their own personal and occasionally professional experiences. These conversations are unprepared, subjective, and should not be taken as medical advice or instruction. Anyone seeking help should always carry out their own research, or better yet, speak to a professional about their circumstances. So how are we playing this? Are we... I think we're playing it for laughs now. Uh, <laughs> we, we return, to, return to what we were doing before. Who wants to do it? I did it last time. I'm very contempt on else at this time. You know more about whatever this is. Yeah. Yeah, this well, thing that we're doing. You do the you do, you do the what thing is in. Okay. When are we going to start? We're going to have a countdown, are we? From oh, is it start? ten. Just trying to do mine again. <laughs> 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 oh, no, no, shit. <laughs> good afternoon. Good evening. Good morning. Welcome to. Uh, I think said, "Have I got news for you?" I was on the wrong show. But, uh, <laughs> welcome to. We wow. are what we are. We are what we overcome the podcast. We're live from Leicester Comedy Festival. Uh, we all been recorded in it anyway. It's about as much live. But yes, we're we're here. <laughs> I'm going to suggest we restart that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bit fair. Neil's a before we start. Well, this one, this, this we can go at the very end. It's fine. We Are What We Overcome on this occasion features musician Matt McGuinness, improviser Nick Tyler, and psychotherapist Wes Evans. Sit back, enjoy, and remember, it's good to talk. Ready? No, <laughs> go, do it. So we're here with uh, We Are What We Overcome, the podcast, chatting about different issues around men's mental health or mental health in general, and this month we're going to be talking about why people don't reach out, why don't they go to those people in the white coats, in the white walls, uh, in the big grey hospital walls, and talk about the problems. Well, already those people sound really appealing. It does, I'm super <laughs> excited about that prospect. <laughs> I will go to the park. Uh, you also back, boomed right? into that intro, really. yes. I think, of, yeah, I think it's going for that upbeat comedy routine that we'd expect from Leicester Comedy Festival. Um, you're welcome, I think. <laughs> we always like to start the shows by finding out how each of us is, which is called checking in, or in normal common language, how are you? And first off, Nick, how oh, are you? Oh, hi. I'm all right, I think. Um, I've been I think, a bit stressed. I'm not sleeping very well. I don't quite understand why. Um, not entirely sure. Um, lots of very weird dreams, which I find disturbing. I don't know if anyone else has horrible, weird dreams, but I find them... I, kind of take over a little bit and have to try and forget about them. Otherwise, they just come back with greater intensity, which undermines the ability to sleep even further. And when you wake up, you're not sure if you're still asleep or not and opens up the, a realm of horror that you might still be asleep or were never asleep to begin with and the walls of reality start to break down. Apart from that... Wow. Cool. <laughs> All cool apart from that. Mm -hmm. So pretty good then. Yeah, uh, yeah. right, right now, quite chipper because I'm not trying to sleep <laughs> or trying to decide if I've woken up. <laughs> That one <laughs> I can never remember my dreams. That's what, that was my immediate reaction. I can remember them for the second, from the second I wake up, and then they just disappear. So. That's the ideal. Yeah. Uh, I'm all right. I'm tired. Everything's been really full recently. So I feel like I've been going constantly 100 miles an hour from one thing to the next, which is ironic because I didn't get here as quick as I thought that I would. It took me ages to get here. It's about going 100 miles an hour. <laughs> Didn't we have a, a running theme last time that everywhere just seems to be about two or three hours away from me? Yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, 
that's, that kind of fits for today. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so lacking a bit of space to sit down with you guys. I feel like I haven't sat down in some space for a little bit. Cool. Monsieur Lamont? Yeah, generally all right, although I had a weird dream the other night about Edinburgh where I didn't uh, book for the whole month, didn't sell one ticket. I think I remembered your dream too. I mean, that one sounds terrifying. I used to have a running dream when I was younger about maths for some reason, where it'd start off nicely, you know, someone asked you what one times one was, and then two times two, and then it would go up to like, you know, 400 times, and it'd just go on 401 times, and then it's like, and then they asked you to count to ten in German. And then on for weeks. Which you tried a few minutes ago. Yeah, and very well, actually. It sounded like it was a natural from Liverpool. <laughs> so exactly like that. So, we, yeah, I mean, I thought it would be really good today to talk about, uh, and it's been coming out across a lot recently in, in different meetings I've been in, where the vast majority of men don't seem to uh, interact with the usual social services whether that be NHS or anybody else. And there's lots of figures banded around, some of which seem preposterous and some of which seem absolutely ridiculous. Like one says 76% of men who have issues with mental health don't actually uh, interact with anybody. Well, it makes me wonder how they know yeah. as well if they don't. But well, the WHO one was hmm. the best. It, they said the figure was somewhere between 20 and 80%. Huh. Yeah, that's, that's not a helpful statistic. Fine work. <laughs> there's some, another statistic that's like, I don't know, 60% of statistics are made up as well, isn't there? But there you go. But then that might not be true either. Who said that? I don't know. <laughs> but you're right. It does feel like a, a, a generally known thing that most men don't seek mental health support or don't. Yeah, it's a long-standing kind of thing. It's been a thing for a long... I think it's better. Um, I actually was thinking about this just before we started and I looked up something about reasons why men don't talk about their mental health oh. according to uh the priory group oh, okay mm -hmm. so uh, has everyone heard of the priory group the yes folk band? yes <laughs> famous folk band uh didn't what? go well so they started like a mental health company <laughs> <laughs> everyone needs a side job <laughs> so apparently the reasons are that 40 percent of people say i've learned to deal with it so mm. kind of just cracking on i suppose 36 percent don't wish to be a burden on anyone 29% are too embarrassed. 20% talk about negative stigma. 17% not wanting to admit they need support. 16%, I'm sure we're over 100% now. We've got to be. 16% <laughs> not wanting to appear weak. And 14% saying that they have no one to talk to. So these are respondents to a survey about why they wouldn't well, speak to Well, I guess you more than one reason. Yeah, that's true, actually, yeah. I hadn't considered that. They all sound recognisable, though, don't they? They um, do. I, they sound, they sound a, a lot of them, like the, yeah, the stigma things, sound like things that I remember being told, not so much not so much being aware that there was a stigma about men seeking mental health support, but being told that stigma existed, which seemed more like a reinforcement of the stigma than anything else, which is peculiar. I think the one that's not on there, which is the one that's been bugging me recently, uh, so there's lots of things going on at the moment with different parts of the country with the NHS changing how they uh, approach mental health. And so I'm involved in the group in Derbyshire and it was about how the branding is and how it's perceived and all that sort of stuff and, and what kind of services they offer. But they don't talk about how they talk about it. And, and so when they, 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 they looked at how the, the branding was going to be, they asked everyone to see it from a couple of examples of people of how they would see it. And not one of those examples was somebody who wouldn't interact with hadn't interacted with, with services. So you mean while they were kind of 
redesigning the service so they didn't consult with people that wouldn't use the service well, to see why. Think why. Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of it was all around, and it was all like really flowery and poetic language, and mm. instead of saying how are you, they'd say so, in, in, a, in a roundabout way, between 1 and 20. With 20 <laughs> not being great, mm. how do you feel today? And What's your current emotional say, valence? And can you count to that in German? When was the last time anyone asked a friend in a pub that, you know, um, how are you feeling from 1 to 20? Mm. It's nice to see you. It's tricky, gone. that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I recognise most, most of those things, aspects of why I found it hard to ask for help or look for help. But I, I, I suspect, like for me, a lot of it comes to, it, it's easier not to. It feels like it's easier not to because if you're, if you're still alive, then I guess it feels like you're coping. You know, you might not be coping very well, <coughs> and if you do it for, but if you do it for long enough, then that's how you... It's just how you do. Well, that was the first one on the list, wasn't mm. it? Most people had said that, that, that I've just learnt to cope. To yeah, do. well, I, and I suspect that learnt to cope is probably a, a gross overstatement. It's like, I've learnt to cope through drinking 15 yes. pints a night. I've found alternative strategies. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, you yeah, know, crying yourself to sleep is a valid strategy for dealing with your mental health, I guess. Um, you know, th- these, are, these are the ways that we do survive. But they're not, none of them are good, I don't think. If I think about having had lots of conversations with clients about this kind of thing, because usually um, in the initial kind of consultation or in that one of the earlier sessions, they'll inevitably talk about kind of how they ended up deciding to get in touch or reach out. Uh, and I suppose I could see some of those themes, like um, don't really feel like I can speak to anyone else around me, feel embarrassed, or a lot of kind of denial of that things are as bad as they are and all that kind of stuff. Um, usually what tends to happen is that things get so bad that it's like, okay, I really should do something now. Mm. Or my partner is kind of giving me an ultimatum or my coping strategies are now unhelpful. Mm. So that's what I've found tends to tip people over the edge of eventually getting in touch if they were reluctant to at first. And the one thing for me, thinking back about it, was that once you reach out for help, you're admitting the fact that there's actually a problem. Whereas up to that mm-hmm. point, you could probably dismiss it as mm-hmm. something else. You know? Yes, you just assume that's just you. Uh, yeah, I, I certainly had aspect of that. Well, th- isn't this just me? I'm just kind of depressed and anxious and don't sleep. Is that is that not just <laughs> isn't that just being me? Doesn't that sound great? Uh, I guess I should you know learn to appreciate that and move on. <laughs> I just like killing people. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we told we said we weren't going to talk about that. That's still going through the system. Um, yeah, uh, but there's certainly uh, I, I agree with what you're saying. This aspect of uh, admitting it and facing it, which means that it's about to become more personally problematic than it has been so far, or more something you've got to take responsibility for. And that, that's a lot of hassle. You know, the, the do-nothing is always immediately easier. It's always terrible long-term, every single time. But in the immediate here and now, not doing a thing is much more straightforward. Mm-hmm. Or waiting until your options have been annihilated so you have only one course of action, which is to go and see someone or to get, you know, picked up and sectioned. Yeah, the, the, having to make a choice is sometimes impossible. Yeah, we're paralysed in that. I wonder if there's something about uh, perceptions of what support will look like and Mm. what it'll involve and stuff like that as well. Um, I think that's definitely in the mix for a lot of people. Um, Yeah, I would say coming through school, I had no conception that mental health support as a thing existed. You know, there's vague mentions of like health and well-being and mixed in with sex education and 
I don't know, international politics, whatever they teach us, like a weird group of stuff. But PSHE, I, they call it. In school. Oh, they used to anyway. PSOC when I was in school, personal ah. social education. Ah, same kind of I thing. remember almost none of it, but I'm sure no. That part, explains a lot. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't learn nothing. Um, but, <laughs> but I don't remember like, mental health stuff being anywhere high on, on, on the list. Mm. Yeah, and didn't leave school with any expectation that the NHS would support. support yeah, like, I know if I like, smashed my foot, I could go to hospital. Yeah, if I've got the flu, I can get, well, told to go home and drink honey and lemon and sleep for a bit. But I don't recall anyone ever mentioning or even coming up that, you know, oh, if you're a bit depressed, there's someone you can go and talk to about that. I don't remember it being talked about at school. You know, people were clearly sad, sometimes would disappear for a while and would return. But I don't remember ever being part of a conversation. And then it's the next step, isn't it? You know, the, the thing that's come up quite a bit is once you've accepted it and then you seek out, one of the ways, particularly up to recently, is going to see your GP. You know, and uh, a lot of people, a lot of my mates won't even go see the GP if their leg's falling off, never mind, for something that they think is... Uh, well, I mean, well, it's getting into GP? the GP as well, isn't it? Yeah, has anyone seen a GP in the last two years? <laughs> I have, I've got high blood pressure and quite bad asthma. I haven't seen anyone. Uh, I have. Yeah. Oh, oh, nice. Yeah, no worries. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> how are you, Matt? <laughs> On a scale of one to ten, mm. pinning you together. Mm. <laughs> nice. The drugs do work. Which way round that one? Super good. Mm. Do you mean eleven being bad? Oh, <laughs> no, why would eleven ever be bad? Although I have done numerous surveys where they put the scale the wrong way around. You're like, this is really confusing. Oh, the, the the double negative things like it. Uh, I'm trying to work out whether you, if, if, do I put that if I do or if I don't and try yes. to, the way the questions are worded and stuff. That would be a bad survey. Yeah. Well, we think we, I mean, with some of the stuff we've been working on, we've been talking to lots of different groups. Mm. So like the one the other day, which sort of I thought was great, but sort of slightly bothers me as well, is a, a group that we're going to chat to and who are based in Edinburgh and they go wild swimming, which um, mm. wild swimming in Scotland to me sounds like you really need to Ooh. see someone. <laughs> but you know, actually, it's a great way of uh, the blokes getting together and uh, uh, and chatting about things in a way that they otherwise wouldn't. You know, I mean, in, in August it might be acceptable. <laughs> Do in November. I mean, that's going to reset your brain, though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that that kind of intense shock, which I guess is what um, whatever they call electroshock therapy now effectively does, doesn't it? Some people have got you know extreme depression and anxiety that can't be treated any other way. You get, of course, that it just fries your brain, resets you, has surprising results. Yeah. I'm not sure if you can go straight into George and ask for that, though. That, that might come further down the track. Yeah, I think there's a process that you've got to go through, yeah. <laughs> Do you think? I think so. I'm not sure what the process is. Uh, yeah, <laughs> desperation, I would imagine. Uh, you've got to go, yeah, well, you've got to find out that everything doesn't work first. But I think, I think you're right about not knowing what support is going to look like. Yeah, and probably having some misconceptions about what it'll be like and, and that putting you off, so... But there's also um, a degree of like self-recognition as well. You, you've got to describe it. If you break your leg, you're like, well, I know what's wrong. My leg really hurts, <laughs> and it's because of the bone's sticking out through my shin. You know, that's really clear. If you're just depressed or anxious, those are quite hard things to isolate. Mm. It's where pop culture comes in handy, because you see it in TV, you read it in books, you see people's behaviour, and you go, oh, I recognise that pattern of behaviour. That seems kind of familiar. And that gives us a chance to glom onto it and go yeah maybe that's that's the thing and it gives you vocabulary to deal with it just not just for yourself but in describing someone else you don't see the doctor and feel just say oh i feel a bit weird that's quite challenging to get through you have to get the terminology that 
orders the information in your brain about how you feel to recognise that what these terms mean. Inherently, as well, the issue is, is is the state that you feel in at the time. Isn't it? I mean, I can think back to the worst points I had, and some of my behaviour was awful. But you know, at the time, it just seemed like yeah, normal. well, exactly, or even just like motivation levels and energy levels and or unhelpful thinking and stuff like that. So yeah, I suppose. That could be its own barrier, couldn't it, to reaching out for support? Well, you, so. You're in a, in, in a moment where, where your brain is doing you in, and you're supposed to think clear about how to deal with it. Mm. But also, we talked about as well, you know, you, having emotions is normal. So, being sad when something sad has happened, being angry when something that's made you angry has happened, are fine things. That line between it being a normal response to an abnormal response where it's taking over is quite hard to define. You, know, you go, well, I've I've suffered trauma, therefore I feel traumatised. This is perfectly reasonable. This is my body doing its thing. Why would I need to get help with my body doing a normal, you know, my body and brain doing a normal thing? Um, the part at which it breaks down is harder. And sometimes you don't see it until much later. You know, when I was having not a great time as a teenager, when I was being abused and trying to live with that. Very hard to even figure out what it was that was wrong with me other than just being very distressed. Uh, I don't... I mean, some stuff's happened. I'm mostly not thinking about that, but just everything is fried and I can't think, I can't do stuff, but trying to figure out why, despite having, in retrospect, quite a clear line of like, oh yeah, you've been fucked up by someone. You should, that's why you feel really bad. That's why you feel really bad. I mean, okay, well that seems very clear now. And dealing with it at the time was not good. I mean, self-harm's much easier. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's quick, it's immediate, it avoids, um, I realize this sounds like an advert for it, um, but, <laughs> Compared to like having to ask for help, it resolves and gives you that, that kind of endorphin kick. It feels like you're doing something. You can cause yourself more pain than someone else in a short space of time, very quickly and very easily. And that feels like, it feels oddly positive. Mm, and immediate yeah. gratification, in, yeah. in your control, here and now. Seizing control is a huge part of it. I think yeah. you know, when you finally ask for help as well, you're seizing control in a way that feels, I guess, like you're giving control away, which makes it less appealing than dealing with that immediately. I think there's probably something in feeling hopeless and that there's no point in asking for help as well. I think, um, you know, if you're in a really tough place, probably can't imagine not being in that place. Yeah, that's true. How could, how could talking to someone really help? You know, I've had that, I've had that kind of conversation with lots of people. I think uh, you also have to be careful as well when you get to that point. I mean, I remember the, one of the sessions where... The, we talked about before where someone said that I want to express myself with the legger that was on the floor and stuff. And I was like, no, I'll use my mouth. That's all right. Well, that's very good. Right? Which, which means you're automatically in a better place than lots of people. You know, they have Absolutely, those things for a reason. But I, I do think the thing that we, we tend to forget or people seem to forget is that there's a whole load of people who, and blokes my age or around my age, who think that's what the therapy is. You know, that mm. kind of thing. It's that pretend that's what all therapy is it's like that's know, what I meant about the preconceived notions yeah, about yeah. what it is and isn't and stuff and you talked about mm. popular culture earlier I think a lot of people and they made jokes about it but I think there's something in it that oh I thought I was going to have to come in and lie down on a sofa and mm. on a couch that, you know that kind of thing very an Americanized that. version of kind of what mental health support looks like true but th- think how many you know just from watching TV and films the number of like, medical conditions and uh interventional drugs that you can just name you know Prozac electroshock therapy mm. you know I can give you like maybe half a dozen different kinds of therapy that I've mostly picked up on just from watching TV so now I know that these things exist 
knowing what you're going to end up wanting to need or want, or wanting to have or, or or will be available is different. But just the idea that those terms exist in a way that I'm sure they didn't, you know, 40 years ago in TV. It says, oh, what's, what's wrong with Mr. Johnson on the soap opera? Oh, he's sad. He's just going to sit in the shed for two days. Oh, uh, yeah. There's going to be no... naked. There's going to be no resolution. Yeah, he's, he's going to come out dead. Or he's going to come out absolutely fine. It's a soap opera. Um, it's, it's a lot more nuanced. We have, a, we have a lot more information available to us. And I think the generation below us probably has a lot more tools than we do. So things are shifting a little bit. Obviously, it's been... Um you know, it's been on the agenda for a long time to get people speaking more about mental health, isn't mm. it? I suppose something we haven't mentioned as much is the stigma kind of element, or maybe even like the cultural kind of angle to it as well. I've I got still think there's a British stiffer lip, keep calm and carry on kind of vibe in the mix, isn't there's it? There's bound to be. We're kind of dicks as a people, I think, for that. And, and, and it's not helpful. That's what it is to be a man and all that kind of stuff. Do you think that's still as, as much of a thing? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, particularly rurally, you know, that... that uh, it hasn't really changed as much as people like to make out. I think there's certain sections of society, and, and I can only speak in terms of blokes that I know, and they haven't really moved on much in, in that sense. They still have the same entrenched things because that stuff that they've has gone through their, you know, their early childhood through to twenty and thirty, and, and it's been ingrained in them that don't do this, do that, don't do this, do that. You can't get rid of that. Well, there's even lad culture as well, you know, just mm. for example, isn't there, you know? Yes, I don't experience much of that. I don't think I've got any friends who I'd describe as just being lads, which is maybe a little bit sad, actually. But I what think... About I, us? Lads, lads, lads. <laughs> oh, yeah, you two are very laddish. Uh, very laddish indeed. Um, I've never met such examples of lads before. Um, Let's just stop this and go and have a pint yeah. <laughs> I've got a pipe we can have that it'll yeah. be fine uh, but I think a lot of my younger male friends who are like mid mid 30s and, and, and under are a lot more likely to answer the question like, oh how are you doing with a truthful response rather than fine or okay most likely to go oh not too great today and then we'll tell you why and I don't remember that from being at university as being that, that kind of response or even being you know in the workplace in my 20s as that being like an expected response that someone would actually answer that question other than formally. You have to be careful looking at who your your um, your circle of friends is. You know, mm. you've got, I mean, some of them, and they're absolutely ace. And, but I'm sort of, I guess, not really friends of mine, but people I'm connected to uh, in the community wouldn't think for one minute of answering that question other mm. than with, you know, I'm, I'm okay, I'm fine, or whatever. They wouldn't actually tell me anything. Mm. Maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I'm not telling Matt about my He should press them further. Do it at knife point, you know, the natural way. It always gets better answers. Yeah. It's, well, so uh, I think I'm seeing a change, but it's in a limited subset of people that I know. Mm. But then I see more people on, you know, the horror that is Facebook actually talking about their feelings than just posting, here's me in a fantastic dress. It's like, cool, whatever. Yeah, I see more stuff that feels like it could be honest there than... We have done, you know, 20 years ago or whatever equivalents we had then, which I guess is... Well, it's easier on... I suppose there's the thing about posting things online, especially for the younger generation, you're a step removed from the kind of face-to-face conversation, aren't you? So there's something disinhibiting about that. It's Maybe. kind of slightly depersonalised, a bit safer, but put be, it on there. But you're also going to get more of a response, you know. You, yeah. If, if you're open with, you know, some dude you've just chat with 
sort of bike sheds right yeah at the bike sheds yeah that place that we all go to <laughs> oh um, yeah yeah so well, how are you well actually i don't feel so great um yeah that's one person but you don't on social media you could potentially get hundreds of responses from people mm -hmm. like that feels very overwhelming or it does to me you know i've i've occasionally shared stuff from the mental health blog i had while i was in counseling on facebook and immediately got responses and go, whoa, that was more than I was prepared to deal with. I'm going to remove that. I, you know, I actually don't want to have a conversation with 30 people about this. No, thank you. One or two. Oh, that's way too much. I don't know. That seems very exposing. So I don't know if people are just in need of more attention. And, you know, more attention means you might do something with it, I guess. You know, if you really need help, more than one person going, you should probably get help, might add up to actually getting help. I do, I do think you're right that the... It's massively changed. I just think there are still big sections of society who it hasn't really changed for. You know? mm. And, you know, I meet those people every day. Mm. Not every day. Prior to Cambridge, probably every day. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. and, and so I think that's, that's the thing that I'm, worries me about it, is that we've just got to make sure that we don't do everything on the basis that things have moved forward. Because for a lot of people, they have. But there's still loads of people who say absolutely nothing. Yeah, I think that's true. I guess the question is, how do you reach them? I mean, the people that you were mentioning maybe have not managed to. Yeah, how do you? How, how do we get beyond the current state of that some people are like, yeah, it's cool to ask for help. I, mean, there's, I guess there's some kind of cultural osmosis, which is what I was talking about, where people realise these things are options. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think I've had conversations in pubs with friends of mine who haven't um, haven't talked to anybody else or haven't talked to anyone professionally. Mm. And, and that's a good way to start off, you know. I think it's it's finding those places that people feel comfortable as oh, it's okay. Because over mm. a pint, it's all right to say we experience, isn't it? You know. Yep. I think that's. I think. I think that's essential thing, isn't it? This this being comfortable to do it. Because I think another thing that's I think is probably high up on the reasons is just because well you're putting yourself in a vulnerable situation, aren't you? You're kind of exposing yourself. Not in that way. No. Um, I'll put everything back. Thank you. <laughs> That's, that's the next show. <laughs> that's for the video version, friends at home listening. You're right about vulnerability. It's, it's not just about being vulnerable and trusting that someone else isn't going to exploit that or whatever. It's, uh, it's honesty on the other side, isn't it? It's being brave enough to be honest about yourself is quite hard work. Mm. Yeah, and, and to hope that we will be received in, in the same spirit. And not dismissed. Although it's honestly that hard. I find it genuinely quite hard to imagine someone saying something, oh, I don't feel real, and, and then, then just mocking it now. That feels much less likely than yeah. it would have felt. I think there, there are more Piers fears Morgan. than just being mocked. Um, yeah, why would anyone talk to Piers Morgan? Just <laughs> the hell. I think there are probably more fears than just being mocked, though, aren't there? Mm. Kind of just what will people think? How will I be perceived? Mm. And. Um, well, it's just stage, it's painful to say. Well, well, yeah, yeah. which kind of what we were saying earlier, you know, what, 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 what's the point kind of thing? It's interesting, isn't it? You wonder if, if you know, having that general awareness of those stats about the number of people that are on antidepressants or that go or that have mental health issues and you know, get mental health support, having those numbers clearer, I think, helps people a bit. You're like, oh, this is more normal than I thought it was. Yeah, what is it? One in three will require mental health support throughout their lifetime. Yeah, that's, that's an insanely high number. Or Normalize it's, or it's, it a, or it's a completely more. normal number. That's a third of people. So you being a, one of a third of people is fine. Yeah, that's, that's not a problem. Yeah, for that to become more normalized and more known about. I keep thinking about it, yeah, this for, we've had two years of having stats every single day 
a number of people that have caught something, been hospitalized with something and died of something. Yeah, that level of focus on just COVID is unlike anything we've ever seen before for seeing how many people are affected by literally anything in the world before. If we had that sort of, those sorts of stats in public for a wide range of illnesses and diseases, mental health support, how many people are engaged in mental health this month? That would be fantastic. And I think, I think, because everyone sees that. Yeah, it's not going to happen though, is it? Because if you make those sort of um, statistics public, then the onus is upon people to do something about it, isn't it? And, and that requires effort, money, resources, and, and, and not wishing to get too political. Mm. You know, it, it requires leadership and focus and stuff. <laughs> and we're sadly lacking over that. Well, it, from, from a different angle, that, what that just reminded me of, um, do you remember a previous conversation we had where you said actually finding out that lots of people were affected or feeling the way you felt had a negative kind yeah, of impact? Yeah. Do you remember that? Yep. That just popped into my head. Don't feel special anymore. Yeah, yeah. There's something nice about being unique for a while, isn't there? Um, yeah. If you and then knowing, that, oh yeah, with the, the yeah you know, the trauma and the sadness and everything, you're feeling perfectly normal, right? Cool. Because um, partly, I think two parts of that response for me was on one. Oh well, I feel a lot less special, but also a, de- a real degree of horror that more people felt like that. Mm. That's horrific, you know. I mean, a third of people, some, you know, I don't know how many it is, a third of people occasionally contemplate suicide. That's horrific. You know, these are brutal numbers. I don't know if that, one, I don't know if that one's true, but it's going to be a far higher number than anyone would want to imagine is real. And you're right, it does, it does require some kind of action, Matt. And I think because those numbers aren't shoved in people's faces and aren't reminded of them, then we don't think that these things are significant. I think it's a couple hundred people dying a day, but you know that's getting that kind of parity for information is uh, probably important and quite empowering when you have it. You know, having the data to inform the decisions that you make about your life. We say that throughout, you know, throughout not just mental health, but all you know, health treatment. You know, having information available to you about the courses of option that are open. You need to know that we all we all, we need to know that the stuff. <laughs> there are people out there who are really passionate about helping other people. Going back to the, the whole the way the conversation started, have you two had examples of friends who haven't who've spoken to you that haven't done anything about it? Yeah, yeah. I have, yeah. What, recently? Yeah. Um, and funnily enough, probably teetering on the edge of doing something about it, I suppose. That's cool. It um, takes a while. Hmm. Yeah, I can, I can also think of people that have had conversations over a long period of time stuck teetering on the edge of going beyond the friend circle yeah I would agree you know for all the people as I said who are likely to tell you the truth and say how they genuinely feel yeah I've got other friends yeah there's always at least one friend like they could really do with some help you know there's always at least someone like they really need to see someone who has some kind of professional ability to do this is beyond just being able to have a chat in the pub and yeah you can nudge and suggest but you can't make people do stuff either. You have to be, in whatever that state of readiness is, as you know, Wes talked about, you've got to be so far past the point of no return that you have no choice but to ask for, to get help. That's yeah. something I speak about with people again in some of the earlier sessions. Because um, it's quite natural that they're talking about why they're here and what they want from sessions or, what, or whatever, what the current situation is. And sometimes it almost feels kind of checking they actually do want to do it you know and they're not just being sent by someone or um or 
such a body keeps telling me I should and it's a good idea and whatever. And so, well, what do you think? Do you actually want to be here? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, and that, if I'm thinking about it, honestly, probably does tend to fall with more of the, the blokes that have come in to speak, actually. It is hard, though. Is I even when I finally did engage with um, counselling, yeah, the first three, four weeks were still me like avoiding talking about what I'd like specifically arranged yeah. the opportunity to talk about and then going, elliptically getting around in the Speaking conversation. Speaking about anything else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, bad. Intensely frustrating. I, it must be inversely intensely frustrating for the council. Perhaps not as frustrating as it was for me, knowing that that's what I was doing. Entirely aware that I was avoiding actually talking about the stuff I wanted to talk about. Was that acknowledged, the avoidance? It did eventually, yeah. yeah. I just went, I went, Look, By the councillor? Um, I think they encouraged me to say it. And then I said, look, I'm not talking about any of the things that I want to talk about. And I know that I'm doing it. It's really frustrating. Uh, I don't know what you can do about that. So, well, acknowledging it is good. You yeah. Know, saying, so at least knowing what you're doing is less problematic than doing it unconsciously. Because now we can, now I can pester you and harass you. That, and, and I guess that was that. avoiding what is painful. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Which makes sense. You know, yeah. Looking after yourself. I guess kind of, Avoiding yes. pain. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. But yeah Pretty avoid, clever. Avoidance of pain seems like a good yeah. thing, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but sometimes, I, sometimes you need a little bit of pain to get the rest of the pain out, I guess. Mm. That's, I don't know. That's something in resetting a broken limb, I'm sure, as a metaphor. <laughs> it's going to hurt a lot. <laughs> we haven't spoken much about stigma, and I think that's probably really relevant, isn't it? What yeah. do I think about that? We're kind of suggesting that maybe the stigma is less and things are getting better and everything else, but do you think, do you think it's still in the mix? Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I had it recently with a family member who uh, asked me about how I was and on the basis of the, the shows that I've been doing, <laughs> so they clearly knew. It does seem like a hint there somewhere. Uh, um, and and they, they were more uncomfortable about it than I was, you know, so... Uh, I don't know if they, they thought they didn't know what to say or that, I mean, one of them was a bit put out that they hadn't done anything about it, but, you know, uh, people shouldn't blame themselves in that way, should they? Um, but but I think it, it is that kind of thing, isn't it? It's like, uh, um, you know, being honest with your family or the people that are close to you mm. um, telling them something that they feel they probably should have known about in the first place or done something about yeah, I think that's quite hard. Well, it's like a reverse stigma, isn't it? Um, yeah, and yeah, see that specifically. I can only what I told my parents that I'd been abused as a teenager, and they had no idea. Was, I think that was probably much worse for them than it was for me. Because that, well, we didn't do anything. It's like, well, you didn't know. And you're like, well, that's the whole thing that I was supposed to know and and you know prevent from happening. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> that's grim. Um, I'm not sure I can help you with that a great deal right now. But yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. That's kind of like not wanting to burden people or worry people or have them kind yeah. of, isn't it? Well, the thing that they can't do anything about, yeah. than, except yeah. knowing is important. Um, ooh, that's a very little of beeping. I think we've got a car reversing into us. Very alarming. Over that, we're still being temperature checked. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> but I, I, do, I do wonder about this thing, because I'm not, yeah, again, with the group of people that I know, I'm not, I'm not seeing much of that stigma. I'm seeing... I'm not seeing many people. Who, I can't think of anyone specifically who is like, you know, "Oh, I'm not doing that. I don't want to. I don't want to look weak." Not seeing that people. I know there's plenty of us, of us going. I don't want to do it because I don't want to deal with it, <laughs> which sort of seems legit compared to that. So like, fair enough. You know, I, I don't want to have to wrangle with all of these problems. Yeah. So there's like burying your head in the sand, mm. 
feeling hopeless, not imagining it could help, avoiding mm-hmm. the pain, not wanting to be a burden. What else? Not wanting to be judged, not wanting to be viewed a particular way, it going against the grain mm. with either how your family were or... Actually, that's true. The only time, actually, the only time I've really seen the secret in action is in the workplace with people not wanting to tell their line manager or HR what's going on with them for fear that that's going to mess the with the job. That. That's a really yeah, good yeah. point. And, it's, it's, and that, there's and a big that, reason why lots of people don't um, access the employee assistance programmes yep. that are in place. And that hadn't even touched me because my work. workplace are basically cool mm. and... and, and uh, pretty open about stuff yep. and I've never really felt that but yeah yeah. So fear of some kind of repercussion yeah the, uh, or, I think or, a lot of people are resistant to have things put on the file at the doctors and things like that as well you know and no one wants HR gossiping about mm. them that, that sounds awful so the way to do that is not to get a job in the first place you know? oh yeah ah. that's fair yeah, yeah. no good, the way to do that is just not to tell anyone about it <laughs> yeah you're right hide it or hide both. it Hide it. Oh, both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hide it, push it down, uh, and then don't ever deal with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know why that didn't occur to me. I think it's because at work I don't feel like that's a problem. Um, everyone in my current workplace seems quite open and straightforward about that sort of stuff. Perhaps because everyone's had some really bad times and, and, and have also mostly come to the conclusion they then have to talk about it and deal with it. Maybe I know more people that have... So there's a different that. culture at your workplace. Um, yeah, also, we're a small team outside yeah. of you know, a big corporate entity. There is something so, about like, culture again, I think. Maybe, maybe people from different families would be different about it, depending on how things were in mm. the family. Um, in or, a very stereotypical way, I can imagine like a big business, business sales room is not a great environment for mental health. Got to hit your targets, got to hit your targets. Sales, 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 manly macho. That sounds like it's probably not a great place to go and have a quick cry at lunchtime. A quick cry. <laughs> yeah, it's a timed cry because you have to get back on. I back bet on, people do. Yeah, you compress your, all of your mental health needs into the tiny slot that you can deal with them in, mm. in, in order to be able to cope with the rest of your day. Yeah, grim, but I'm sure people do that. Ugh. That's horrible. But I can't think of anyone who's made me feel like I would be less of a person for going and seeking mental health support, That's which good. is nice. Yeah. That is good. I, uh, I don't remember the last time I was employed by someone, so I've not really had that problem. You're basically unemployable, Matt. Yeah. We know this. Mm. <laughs> and, and because of your mental with, health. Comfortable <laughs> with it as well. I think, I think you're fine. <laughs> we should wrap right. this up soon, shouldn't we? We'll be yes. Uh, where are we landing with this, then? We've just kind of listed a bunch of reasons why people might not get support sounds pretty grim well, it's getting maybe, better maybe, but it's still a problem next time we should talk about and we could think about between the two of ways to overcome that and, and, and examples of how that of uh, different alternative ways of dealing with that and presenting it to people because there's lots of conversations going at the moment about trying to fund different different things that aren't national, necessarily traditional routes for, mm. for mental health that'd be quite positive that seems fair. It just makes me think that I've, I found getting help was really hard to reach that point. Very, very difficult. But once I did, it was worth it. It hasn't fixed everything. It hasn't left me without any troubles or any problems. But it gave me some tools for handling them. What did and it take for you to get the help in the end? Oh, being bullied by my other half, mostly. Um, <laughs> ultimately. Um, but yeah, yeah, recognising that it's not supportable and actually my life shouldn't be with like three hours sleep a night and drinking and smoking to get to sleep and in order so we're getting to so bad yep um yep 
that it just couldn't carry on that way. Yeah. And a lot of ext- like influence from people saying, you really need to get help. Yeah, and recognize, I finally recognize it. And I think what's most frustrating, I think that thing that I always say to people, people that feel like maybe they should get some support, but don't ruin if should. It's like, you, you should, because you're burning years, years of your life when you could have had that support. And it might not have fixed you, and it would have been horrible and quite painful, but you could have found out that you could have a better part of life sooner. I, I wish it's all that I was at the worst point before I went to this one, which is, mm. which is on retrospect, really a stupid thing. You know, I wouldn't just let go dream before I asked them to put the bone back in. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we're, we're people. We're not necessarily good at making solid decisions. There is something about, I think, I think there is something about a culture change on many levels, you know, kind of big culture, but workplace culture. So something about shifting that, and I think it is shifting. There's lots of efforts for that, isn't there? Um, but, and I've forgotten what my other point was, so <laughs> never mind. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a good one. I'll remember it at four o'clock this morning. We'll do it next time. Next time, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Next time we'll be all about what Wes's lost thought was. All right, beautiful. I can cope with that. You done? I think so. All right. So next time. See you then. Take care. If you've been affected by anything that we've talked about tonight, that's cool. We were kind of hoping you would be. If you haven't been affected by anything tonight, then that's great too. You're probably fine. Of course, if you say you're fine, there's a good chance you aren't. So you might also have been affected. And if you've been affected before, you probably will be again. Please talk to someone. It can get better, and together we can survive. We are what we overcome. When were you on Have I Got News For You? (laughs) In his mind. (laughs) Or right now, who knows?